but we're recording now. Hello, my friends. We are back with another episode of Too Scared to Sleep, a podcast where we talk about spooky shit. My name is Dylan. And my name is Jake, and we are here to fuck shit up. Fucking shit up. We have got the energy. I don't know why. I don't know where it came from, but I'm sitting here with my chicken express tea and my arms out, and I'm ready to go. My God. This is I the sleepless shirt that energy. energy that you're getting. Oh, yeah. You look like you're on your way to the gym. Yes. But I'm in the gothiest way, way possible. And you're wearing exactly. burgundy socks. They're maroon. You know, I don't ever remember telling you, come in, make yourself at home. But you definitely made yourself at home. You always take off your shoes. Yeah. It's a little strange. I don't like my toes and my feet being trapped in this fucking capitalist prison any longer than they have to be Capitalist prison. <laughs> oh my god speaking of which little nas x ah yes man talk about a crazy guy okay all i knew about him was old town road and then at some point the guy came out be you you do you boo but he just released a video where he ascends first of all it it's like starts off in the garden of eden and the serpent is there and, and then he fucks the serpent. And I'm pretty sure he fucks the serpent. And pretty then he sure. dies. The serpent licks his, his dick bulge. He fucks the serpent, Jake. That's true. So that happens in the video. And then at some point, he descends into hell on a stripper pole. Yeah. And he gets down there and starts to do a, uh, a lap dance on Satan. And Dylan was the one who told me that apparently it, it is implied that he has sex with Satan. And then he kills Satan and takes Satan's crown and becomes Satan. That is a lot of that is a that is a journey when it comes to oh, a music yeah. video. Oh, yeah. I I'll you first say I don't really care so much for his music, but I absolutely love Lil Nas X. I think he's super funny. And when this video came out, it just blew my mind. Great shit. I love I love seeing how upset all the conservative Christians oh, are know. at him. It is just fucking hilarious. It's so good. And Jake, you're absolutely right. This music video is a journey. It gives you whiplash. It takes you places. That good you didn't shit. even know you wanted to go. Exactly. I remember back when I was a kid, Madonna came out with a song called Like a Prayer. Oh, yeah. 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 First of all, she got paid a shit ton of money by Pepsi. Because Pepsi was going to use this song as a, as a commercial for their drink right does anybody even drink pepsi anymore pepsi tastes like shit uh pepsi tastes good if it's cold that's weird i'll drink pepsi every now and then but it has to be either in the can or with a lot of ice like in a styrofoam cup so it keeps the cold longer interesting anyway if you get a bottle you have it for long enough that it gets room temperature and that's when it gets gross but i digress yes in madonna's video first of all she's in wearing a nightgown the entire time like a silk nightgown mm -hmm. secondly she's got burning crosses she goes into a she goes into a church she um exhibits stigmata <laughs> stigmata <laughs> a black saint comes alive and then she makes out with this black saint and so most most of the fundamentalist christians thought that she was making out with black jesus which there's nothing wrong with making out with black jesus at least it's a accurate representation of yeah, jesus more accurate than blonde haired blue eyed jesus or max von Sydow jesus or anything like that anyway it's wild and she got dropped by so many of her her uh, her endorsement deals she lost the pepsi deal people were burning her cds burning her records it was crazy burning her tapes Talking about how horrible she was. She was the whore of Babylon. 
back then, you know, that was like right during the satanic panic. So mm-hmm. it was just something else. It's crazy. Anyway, enough about that. I went hiking less. I've been doing a lot of outdoorsy shit. I've noticed. I don't know who this new you is. It's the old me before I broke my leg. Wow, that's true. Well, actually, no, because like before I broke my leg, I was working at the car dealership and I couldn't get any time off. You had to work oh, every Saturday. Yeah. I, so, yeah. I recall. So this is even before that. Anyway, when hiking again, I was that guy, the weird guy. We got out on the hiking trail and people are, we were talking. It was like, is me and my dad and my older brother and one of his kids. His son, he's, uh, he's 15 years old, took his Bluetooth headset, like his, <laughs> like his Bluetooth earphones and listened to music the entire time. Didn't talk to anybody. It was nice. Like, I was, okay. N- unsurprisingly to anybody who knows me or has listened to this show, that was definitely me. I would go out and do things, you know. I would usually do, like, one earphone so I could listen in case somebody needed to talk to me. But I was very much, like, just listen to the music and just walk and get over with the shit you don't want to do. I just enjoy music and not talking to people. Yeah, he reminded me of you. But it was funny because I couldn't stop myself from talking about the missing 411 when we were out there. (laughs) It's like, hey, we're in a state park. Let me tell you all about these disappearances in state parks. I turned into that weird guy. In my family, I've turned I into love that guy. it. This is all I wanted because I was already that weird guy. I just needed to loop somebody in strong Jesus enough where they Christ. would become that with me. Yeah, and then my older brother wants to come on the podcast to debunk all of my uh, paranormal stories from growing up because he says that I'm remembering them wrong. Oh, I definitely want your brother on this show to debunk no, you. That's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. This is the guy who knows the most about me and also would love to yeah. destroy me. Yeah. And destroy any credibility I have. So God knows only, only God knows what the stories he would tell. Like it would start off by, let me tell you about the story about when we were growing up. And then before you know what he's telling me, all it's telling all kinds of crazy shit about me. No, we're not putting him on the show. Damn that. I'm not. It's like character assassination. <laughs> no way. That's true. We both try to live our lives as good upstanding men. And uh, he just wants to shoot you down right out of the sky. Yeah, no kidding. No, he's the wrong person to have on the show. That's funny. Okay, so I've had a couple of I've had a house guest a couple of a couple of weekends in a row. That he has. That I have. Boomer. Boomer our cat. Our podcast cat. Who's looking at us? Sweet right little now. angel. He is not into it at all. He this, only likes me. No, this house guest was over for two nights in a row. And when she left, he came out of hiding. And he chewed me out for about 10 minutes. Oh, my God. He just stood in the kitchen and just meowed and meowed and meowed and talked to me about, you know, how dare you? And she slept in my spot and she was here too long and she was talking to me and she was looking at me. She tried to pet me on the couch and I had to move away and I've spent all this time in hiding. Yeah, he's not liking it. No, it doesn't seem like it. I don't give a shit. Poor sweet boy. He can he can go live with someone else if he doesn't like it. You can go live with your mother, you little bastard. Don't do that to him. I'm not going to do that to him. Okay, okay. So the weirdest thing happened this last week: a shipping, a huge oh my god ship liner ship oh god got stuck in the Suez Canal. Mm-hmm. The Evergreen. Yeah. Apparently, the Suez Canal. Did you know about this? I I was yeah. Someone on TikTok was mentioning. That this shipping, this shipping canal, this one and the Panama Canal, are so important to worldwide shipping that every shipping vessel built 
is built according to the dimensions so that they will fit through the Suez Canal or the Panama Canal. Holy shit. That's how important oh this fucking God. thing is. Anyway, so one of them got... What were you that face you just made? I was sending a Snapchat. One of them got stuck. <laughs> and, of course, everybody's making fun of it. But you told me yes. on the way back over here, before the podcast, that apparently there is hente about it. Uh, yes, for one thing, hentai. Get your pronunciation right, Whatever, you uncultured swine. I apologize. That's a joke. No, but yes. Um, so my roommate actually found it on Reddit, and he showed me. And I don't know if he did this to me or if the universe just thought it would be funny, but he showed me like a couple images, and it's not like actual porn. It's just drawing the ship as like an anime girl that's stuck in the canal. That's not a. I'm not defending it. It's still bad, but he showed me one image, and then a couple different meme pages that I follow on fucking Instagram, which I don't even know why I follow them. Like four different ones posted four different images where there was just the ship as an anime girl, like stuck in the canal. So strange. I hate that this is a thing that happens, but some of them were kind of funny. There was also just one that I showed to Jake earlier where it was the shot of the ship stuck in the canal. And they have diggers on either side that are trying to move some of the dirt out of the way so they can give the ship enough Mm -hmm. leeway to Mm -hmm. wiggle through. Um, and one of them just said, help step digger, I'm stuck. My God. Yes. Yeah, why, why, why? I just don't understand. <laughs> Most times I'm like, yeah, I could get it. I mean, I understand tentacle porn. Maybe that's your thing. Maybe that's your jam. But it just, it's too, it's too much of a, it's too much of a stretch for me to say, look at this giant shipping ship, whatever you want to call it. Look at this shipping vessel. I know Let's that you know. Let's liken this to a female <laughs> Japanese character. I know that you know what Rule 34 is. Yes, I know what Rule 34 so is. So you know that there are people that are always on this wavelength of, wow, I got to turn this into a porn. There's it's, always going to be someone who can do it. To and me, it's the strength. It's the worst. It's the hard. That's the biggest stretch I've ever heard of. It's. Oh, believe me, my friend, when you go into the bowels of the Internet, uh, you find some things you wish you didn't. And let me tell you, the evergreen in the Suez Canal, that's not that intense, okay? There are some things that are going to stick with me that I don't want to stick with me. I'm sure. I was going to watch Kong Skull Island because I've never watched it all the way through. Oh, yeah, I haven't either. I forgot no. about that. Because in two days, Godzilla vs. Kong comes out. Yeah. And I was looking for it on HBO Max, and I was, like, clicking, and I was doing a search for it. And I hit the letter K, and it came up, Kong, Kong Skull Island, Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, <gasps> I, I, I could watch Blade Runner 2049 again. I've watched it, like, 80 times. I know, yeah. It's just so good. You can keep watching it. I know. That's you never need to stop watching that movie. No. No, that's one that's on heavy repeat. Oh yeah. I've decided I've decided that Deckard's not a replicant. Deckard's not a replicant. I've decided that. Okay. That according to me Deckard's not a replicant. You can okay. disagree with me on that, but that's how I've decided. I'm going to be completely honest with you. When I was watching Blade Runner, the original, I never really had the idea of I wonder if Deckard's a replicant. Never never crossed my mind the first never time. Never crossed my mind. Then Ridley Scott came out and said, oh, he's obviously a replicant. But see, 
he's not obviously a replicant because if he was obviously a replicant then we would know we would have had that thought right why yeah it's just strange whatever i've seen things you people wouldn't believe oh my god yes anyway enough about that god fucking love those movies man attack ships on fire off the shoulder of orion anyway sea beams glittering off the tannhauser gate that's right all these memories be lost in time like tears like tears in the rain that is just god it's so amazing shit it's so good we should watch it after this. That's why I'll Blade <laughs> Runner. I'll 100% watch that with you right now. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back in two hours once we do. <laughs> Fuck, man. All right, enough about that. All right, Jake. You fucking ready for this? I'm ready. I'm going to go first. Let's do it. All righty. I am going to be talking about a particular case that's going to be pretty rough. Said that last time, meant it last time, mean it this time. This is one of those uh, where I've been doing, I have been specifically searching for some more brutal, intense, um, interesting topics to bring to the table. Consequently, I have gone down a rabbit hole of some very upsetting things. Yeah, it's gotten even more disturbing than usual. Because I wanted season three to have that spice, you know? I'm just going to tell you, this one took me on enough of a journey, and there were enough details that I had to leave out for what I'm going to present on this show, uh, that I think next week I'm going to take it a little bit easy. I need to give myself a little bit of a mental break. Because this time around, we are talking about the Hello Kitty murder. Oh my god. Have you ever heard of this? No, but I'm so scared. This is one of those that a lot of people, because I follow a lot of like true crime stuff on TikTok. Um, a lot of people post about like, you know, oh, I'm so into true crime, but this story is one that just really, you know, never sat right with me or, you know, it just fucked me up so bad when I, when I heard about it for the first time. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? Let's see what all the hype is about. Let's go ahead and ruin Jake's day. And uh, Let's do it. that's what we're here to do. So it sounds... Not terrible. The Hello Kitty murder. A little bit weird juxtaposition there. But we are going to start at the end of the story. Here in May of 1999, a 14-year-old girl came into the Hong Kong police station. She was visibly upset and claimed that she was being haunted. And because of her stress state, they allowed her to just talk it out and get her story out. Um, even though they assumed that she was just crazy and they weren't going to do anything because she's talking about a fucking ghost. Yeah. But they just sat somebody with her and let her talk through everything. Um, this girl spoke in particular of one spirit who visited her every night. It was a woman who was, uh, who she said was covered in blood, bound with electrical wire, and who had been tortured to death. And she felt that the only way to get rid of the ghost was to come tell the police everything that she knew. Police's interest, police's interest had been piqued at this point, and they began listening a little bit closer to her story. Unfortunately, this is not a paranormal topic that we are talking about. The real ghost was the guilt we made along the way, as we're about to find out. Oh god, it's gonna get so bad. It's gonna get real bad. 
Uh, so this teenage girl admitted that when she was 13 years old, uh, she was part of a group comprised entirely of older men who were members of the Triad, which is the Chinese mafia, basically. This group, along with her, conducted a month-long torture and murder of one young woman. I'm not okay with this. She explained her position in the group because police found it extremely odd that a 13-year-old girl was with a group of older men older men involved in organized crime, uh, and she told police that she was involved in the torture and killing because one of the men, a 34-year-old, was her boyfriend. And while it was mostly the men who did the torturing and killing, she was forced to join by her boyfriend. And in fact, most of the details that we have on this case come from this girl's testimony, as nobody else has spoken on it. Oh, God. Yes. This absolutely gained the police attention, and they escorted this young girl back to the apartment in the run-down uh, Kowloon district that she had said the killing took place in. And what they find inside will shock you. Oh, don't say it that way like it's a TMZ, uh, TMZ article. Murder clickbait. It was a giant Hello Kitty doll stuffed with the skull of a young woman. Fuck. This is dark. Yes, this is dark. So this skull belonged to a 23-year-old named Fan Man Yi, uh, a nightclub hostess, which is a fancy way of saying like a legal prostitute uh, or an escort. So Fan Man Yi had an exceptionally rough life before her murder. Uh, she was abandoned by her family and raised in a girl's home until she became 16, uh, which at the time was the age limit that the Chinese government decided that you could be an adult and would be removed from girls' homes or uh, orphanage. Oh, okay. There we go. And from the age of 16, she had to fend for herself. Uh, she began a life of drug abuse, illegal sex work, and petty crime for a few years. That's no, not good. No. During this time, she actually gave birth to a son, uh, which was the child of her and her one of her clients. Mm. Yeah. This is rough. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to be super long, but it's, it's packed full of some information. So we're just going to keep diving in here. And in 1997, she was 21 years old. She got a legitimate job in a brothel instead of working the streets. Um, now, the benefit of working in the brothel was that it provided more safety in terms of the location. She actually had a boss to watch over her, um, other employees and co-workers to kind of, you know, keep things in line. And it was all in one area. However, the clients remained dangerous. Uh, the clients that frequented this place were mostly triad members and other affiliates of organized crime within the area. Now, one such man was Chan Man Lok. This is the 34-year-old man who decided that dating a 13-year-old would be a good idea. And he is one who met uh, Miss Yi at the nightclub. The two hit it off right away with her being a drug-addicted escort and him being a drug-dealing pimp. Kind of like puzzle pieces. Yeah. Just two peas in a pod. Yes. And Manlock, along with his associates and friends, became regulars of Yi. Um, after spending quite a bit of time together, later that year, Yi had the horrible idea of waiting until after one of their sessions to steal Manlock's wallet, mm. uh, containing about $4,000. Of course, Manlock found out about this, given that it was a dangerous idea in the first place, and the two were alone most of the night. Uh, and upon finding this out, 
He demanded that she not only pay the $4,000 back, but an additional $10,000 in interest for the disrespect. This ended up being a couple days afterwards where he had confronted her about this, um, but she was able to scrape up $4,000 and give it back to him, but she was unable to get the additional ten as she was already struggling for cash. But she promised that if given enough time, she could get it back to him, and Manlock reacted about as well as you would expect. He decided that the next step was to kidnap Fan Man Yi uh, with the help of two triad associates, Ling Xing Cho and Ling Wai Lun. I don't like where this is going. But yes, the going. first one being 27, the second one being 21 years old. A couple months later, they finally found Yi on March 17th of 1999. Uh, they found her on the side of the road. She was back to road working as an illegal prostitute mm. um, because she was just too scared to go back to the brothel she was working at because she knew that they would be coming back there for their money. But unfortunately, they found her and the three men grabbed her and took her to an abandoned apartment that was owned by the triad. The plan was that Yi was going to pay back her debt either in money or in service to him and his partners. And now it's gonna get rough. This is where it goes bad. Yeah. I know. Go ahead. I'm ready. So on the first night that they had Yi, they spent the entire night assaulting, starving, and torturing her. And as time went on, the beatings ended up increasing in intensity. Uh, they went from just beating her with their hands to using kitchen utensils, weapons, uh, debris from the room. People said they used pieces of furniture. Uh, they would melt wax or plastic and drip it onto her. They burned the bottoms of her feet so that she couldn't get out. This is no good. Yes. Uh, they would force Fan Man Yi to talk about how excited she was for all of this and made her smile. Uh, she didn't do exactly what they wanted, and she didn't smile while she was being brutally beaten, they would just hurt her even worse. This is one of the sections where there was a lot more that they did to this poor woman that I decided to exclude from what I'm telling you here. Oh, yeah, I know. I remember reading about this. It was a Today I Learned. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they did some truly evil things. Mm -hmm. The true evil in the world. Oh, like yeah. We always talk about. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the worst cases of it. So, it's just not, it's not going well, okay? It's very, very, very bad all around. How many days are we in now? This um, the well, this day? is... This is the first. This night? was the first night God damn, um, where they Dylan. had spent God the whole damn. night beating her and sexually assaulting her. No, Dylan. Uh, but it, the entirety of this continued for about a month. I know. Oh, I know. I remember. Yes. And despite his associates uh, and other triad members eventually no longer wanting to pay for sex with her due to how intensely they were beating her, uh, Manlock and his close friends kept her in the room. They just, I guess, liked having their own personal hostage to abuse. And all of these men were so fucked up in the head that they didn't even really let it phase them. They would be literally one room over from where Yi was, playing video games, eating, drinking, hanging out, doing drugs. Uh, apparently a lot of them were addicted to crystal meth. So they're just sitting there, fucking getting blasted away on crystal meth, and playing video games while they're torturing a human being. Hmm. We're dealing with some real standout people. Oh my god. May they burn in hell. 
Eventually, the beatings and the torture grew so extreme that the men began getting bored with her. Uh, they ran out of new ideas, and she was so starved and injured that she barely reacted when they beat her. So, they're kind of running out of ideas. And this one, almost a full month after her abduction on April 15th, uh, the triad members and the then 13-year-old girl went out to eat. Uh, they'd done this multiple times before, and their process was they would tie Yi up and leave her in the bathroom, they would lock the bathroom door, then they would lock all the other doors in the house so that she wouldn't have a way of getting out. They went out to go eat, and then they came back to continue their assault, uh, only to find out that, unfortunately this time, when they opened the door, Fan Man Yi was dead in the bathtub. Yeah, uh, she just finally succumbed to her wounds i was gonna say succumb to her injuries yeah yeah so chen man lock and the two men and his 13 year old girlfriend um all decided that they needed some time to think about their next steps and figure out what was going to have to be done and then they decided the next day that what they needed to do was dismember the body to avoid it being identified as easily so they cut her body into small pieces uh, they boiled the body parts next to each other to remove the flesh from the bones. And a couple different reports I had read on this said that at one point, because there's so much that they had to actually boil through because it's a whole human body, um, that at one point they either were making like pasta on the oven right next to the pot where they were boiling mm -hmm. her body. Mm -hmm. um, it was either that or some reports said that instead of that, they had, when they were done, just rinsed out that pot and used that same pot to make pasta, like for Jesus their dinner. Jesus fucking Christ, man. Yeah. Super uncomfortable shit. Oh, this is horrible, horrible, horrible. Yeah. Next week, I'm going to bring something nice. I'm going to talk about the fucking Fresno Nightcrawlers or some shit. I don't know. We love the Nightcrawlers. Fucking love those little guys. <clears throat> They're the best. God, I wish I could see a Nightcrawler. Me fucking too, man. If Me there was listen, too. listen, I like the idea of taking my kids to Disney World at some point. I really want to take. I don't know if I've ever talked about this. Have I ever talked about this before on the podcast? But I really want to take them to NASA in Ooh. Houston, Ooh. and I want to dress them up as Starfleet officers <laughs> to go to NASA. That's fucking like cool. old school, like you know, like uh, the original series. Mm -hmm. Those jumpsuits. I mean, next generation is cool, but dressing up my son as Kirk and my daughter as Uhura and I can go as Spock, I think it would be so freaking awesome. That would be pretty cool, but... But more than anything, let me tell you something. I would sell all sorts of shit if there was a night... If there was a cryptid theme park where you could do like a petting zoo. Oh my god. God! There is no amount I wouldn't pay. Come and pet the Nightcrawlers. Come. And feed Nessie. Oh, my God. I mean, you know, maybe it would turn into a Jurassic Park situation, but I'm down. You know what? That's fine. I would rather have a bunch of cryptids running around so than a bunch awesome. of dinosaurs. I would think, you know, like, okay, so let me think about it. Because you can go here to the snake farm, and it's got an unsupervised petting zoo that's pretty cool. The goats are just out there. The sheep are out there. The fucking pigs are out there. You can feed them the pellets. You can just basically hang out with them. You can push the goats away and stuff like that. They've got llamas out there and alpacas and stuff. And I would think that a nightcrawler is going to be about the same as a llama or an alpaca. Yeah. Probably better natured than those guys because those guys can be kind of assholes. They definitely can be. God, I wish I could pet a nightcrawler. I just, I want to know 
what they would feel like because they look like they would have the texture of like a soft jellyfish they just feel like they have kind of that flowy essence about them which just makes me feel real good in my heart mm-hmm. they're the best i love those night crawlers oh man god bless those night crawlers i actually had an idea because i have a mothman tattoo like planned out and ready to go of course you do i was thinking about doing it over here but then i kind of was thinking a little bit more about it and i was like you know what i could do a whole cryptid leg yeah you could do that because there's some cool looking little critters out there get like a jersey devil and a fucking fresno nightcrawler around here Dylan, hell yeah, man! Or we could, or we, or you could spend that money learning how to code, so you could get an actual good job instead of living in retail hell. You're in retail purgatory, and as your father, I need to do whatever I need to do to motivate you to get out of that retail hell. I enjoy my job, Dylan. I would like a better job, son number one. But I enjoy the job that I work at right now. I really I like know the people that you there. Do but come on, it would be fine as a part time job. I've turned into a dad. Right now, I'm about to get all super dad on okay. you. I might as well put on go. I'm gonna go put on the Lorinda Coger oh, cardigan, the cable, knit sweater. The cable knit sweater, and I'm gonna come back over here. And I'm gonna talk to you about ambition and about how you need not to be selling yourself so short living in retail purgatory. Okay, son. What son? What we're what? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold okay. on, hold all it. Right. right. I am using my time in retail purgatory to build my brand okay i'm serious i like i've created a tiktok for my art i've created an etsy for it i'm trying to post more on social media we're working on the podcast i'm thinking about you know trying to figure out how to start another podcast like i want this to be my shit right okay i want the podcasting and the art to be my shit okay so i have to stick with the retail shit for a little bit because it gives me the time Okay. To sit in my depression and still have time to work on my brand. Okay. It's for my art. All right, Dylan. You know I'll support you no matter what. Just, oh, come on, man. I could just sell drugs. You're talking about a cryptid leg right now. I'm like, really? Is that the best way to spend your money? Yeah. Is on more tattoos? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. I'll, okay. I'm, saving I'm not up saying for you have to new- go to college because university education is a farce. Fuck yeah. All right, enough about that. Let's get back to the other upsetting stuff. <laughs> All right, yeah. Okay, so here's my topic. Are you ready for this? What? I'm not done. The fuck You're you not doing? done with your topic? No, dude. Oh, my God. Sorry no. for that. We totally went off yeah, on Yeah, we tan- just went off on this major we tangent, but no, I'm not done. land. I've still got like uh, three quarters of a page. I love it. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so they were chopping up the body, boiling the pieces and separating everything out they removed the bones from the meat um let's see here so when it was all said and done the only body parts that were recovered of this woman were her skull which was stuffed into the hello kitty mermaid doll and then sewn back up uh one of her teeth which was found on the floor and there was a bag in the freezer that had been filled with her organs god almighty yes Now, we have kind of met where the beginning portion of this story is versus where we are at now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, So, mm -hmm. all of this shit has happened. Um, The the now 14-year-old girl has gone to the police, and the police are investigating. They only found her skull, a tooth, and some organs. 
So, due to the lack of a full body, there was never any way to determine the actual cause of death. Mm-hmm. And the teenage girl had no idea how, you know, what it was that actually killed her, but obviously it was because of the torture and shit. Up until this point, everything we've heard about what has happened has been according to the testimony of this teenage girl. That's right. But of course, the three grown-ass adult men had very different stories in regards to these claims. They said that they teamed up with Fan Man Yi to run a small, exclusive brothel, and that everything was consensual and part of a business arrangement. But she was a drug addict, and that one day, she had just overdosed on crystal meth, and the men, not knowing what to do, panicked, dismembered her, and hid her body parts. Because that's what normal people do. Right. Don't call 911 or an ambulance. Yeah. Chop up her body. Yeah. Not. But unfortunately, given that the police did not have a full body, they had no way of determining whether or not these men were telling the truth or whether the girl was telling the truth. They had no evidence that they had killed Yi, so they couldn't pursue it as a murder investigation. However, That's some fucking bullshit. they did have enough evidence and the confessions uh, to confirm that she died within the care of the men, and eventually, later in 1999, they were all charged with manslaughter without the possibility of parole for 20 years. Which means that last year was the year that they were able to go on to parole. Now, I was looking it up, and I couldn't find any information about them, you know, achieving parole or whatever. So, I'm assuming that they're just rotting in prison. Hopefully, they've all died. Who knows? But they did get sentenced to prison for manslaughter in regards to this death. Mm. But there is one slight silver lining in that the 14-year-old girl who came to the police... Uh, who was coerced into helping torture Yi, was granted immunity, basically. Uh, For her testimony and for leading police to the body, she was able to not only avoid jail time, but have her real name kept hidden from the public and out of the files, so that she could have some chance at having a normal life. Because, again, it's not, it's absolutely not her fault. She has been convinced that a 34-year-old man is her boyfriend, when she's just another kind of victim. Yeah, she's being taken advantage of as much as anyone else. Oh, yeah. But if she is still alive, she will now be in her mid-30s, hopefully doing well. I very much hope that this girl is not horribly and deeply traumatized for the rest of her days. Jesus Christ. Um, but that's that. There's, as you know, a whole lot of... Uh, gruesome details that I left out, but that is the gist of the Hello Kitty murders. If anybody, for some fucking reason, is interested in looking at more of this, you can find photos of all sorts of things. You can find more details on exactly what was done to her, but if you would rather sleep tonight, you can just take my word for it. Uh, But that's it. That is the general outline of the Hello Kitty murders from Hong Kong, China. That reminds me of the torture and death of Sylvia Likens. Yes. Yeah, it does. Very much so. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Which you can watch on American Crime, I believe it's called, with Katherine Keener and Elliot Page. So. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, I guess we'll take a quick break now. We will take a quick break, and we'll be back with my topic. Then we'll be right back. And we are back! We have returned with a vengeance! After that half a second break. Yeah. yeah after that very very short break uh where nothing happened because uh anchor still doesn't give us ads bitches we need to move 
All right, here we go. You ready for this? I'm ready. God. Hit me with it. I am going to be talking about the disappearance of Natalie Holloway. Natalie Holloway. Natalie Holloway. All righty. All right, here we go. Natalie Holloway was born in 1986. When were you born? When was I born? Yes. 1999. Oh, Jesus. Oh, shit. No, you know what I found out? Actually, I forgot to tell you when we were talking about him. Me and Lil Nas X have the exact same birthday, April 9th, 1999. That's weird. That's fucking crazy, right? But your birthday's next week. Oh, yeah. <gasps> what are we doing for your birthday, Dylan? I don't know. I didn't think of, I haven't thought about it. Should we get blasted in Hail Satan? <laughs> well, we're always going to get blasted in Hail Satan, of course. <gasps> Happy birthday, Dylan. When are you going to be 22? 22. Oh, my God. You're so young. I'm a baby. Do you know how old I'm going to be this year? 62. 42. Close. <laughs> There was a two in there. Yeah. It was pretty much right. God. It's all the same after you get 35. Makes it so weird. Oh, well. All right. Natalie Holloway was born in 86. She was the first of two children born to Dave and Beth Holloway in Memphis, Tennessee. Her parents divorced and (laughs) Gene, her younger brother, were raised by their mom. In in the year 2000, Beth married a guy named... (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ. Oh, no. His name is George Twitty, but he goes by Jug. Of course he does. Who goes by Jug? Jug Twitty. Of course he does. Where is this taking place? Alabama. Yep, that that actually tracks perfectly. Absolutely tracks. He was a very prominent Alabama businessman. The man, the family moved to Mountain Brook, Alabama. Oh Jesus God! Natalie graduated uh, with honors in May of two thousand five from the high school, and this was Mountain Brook High School's very is located in a very wealthy suburb. She was a member of the National Honor Society and the school dance squad and participated in other extracurricular activities, of course. Cool. She was a ske- she was scheduled to attend the University of Alabama, Roll Tide, on a full scholarship where she planned to pursue a pre-med track. Of course she did. Mm-hmm. On Thursday, May 26, 2005, Holloway and 124 fellow graduates of this high school arrived in Aruba, for a five-day unofficial graduation trip. Nothing says white privilege more like going to Aruba for your fucking high school. You know where I went for high school after I graduated? Where? Schlitterbahn. Nice. You know where I went? Down the street. Where'd, I, where'd you go? Whataburger. Exactly! Yep. This is how the real, this is how the real salt of the earth. Oh, yeah. Do it. Fucking Aruba! Yeah, I went to the one river that everybody goes to because they like to smoke weed. Not because I wanted to smoke weed, just because I liked the river. And I went to Whataburger. And that was it. No fuck, no, nothing else. That was my fucking graduation party. (laughs) Oh my god, I'm sorry, Dylan. Oh, I don't care. So these teenagers, 124 of them, were accompanied only by seven chaperones. According to a teacher and chaperone named Bob Plummer, the chaperones met with the students each day to make sure everything was fine. Uh, Jody Beerman, who organized the trip, stated, stated the chaperones were not supposed to keep up with their every move. They were just, you know, just there to make sure. Whatever. Okay. All right. The police commissioner, whose name was Gerald Dompig, there in Aruba, he headed the investigation from mid-2005 until 2006, stated that the Mountain Brook students engaged in wild partying, a lot of drinking, lots of room switching every night. And he knew that the Holiday Inn, where they were staying... Uh, had told them they were not going to be welcome the next year. Oh, shit. Okay. That's hilarious. Damn. This reminds me of this 
church trip that we went on one time, a church convention, and we oh, were not. Things we were, get a little wild. We at were the told convention. we were told never to come back to that place, but it was just because they didn't like dirty little Mexicans in their in Uh-oh. their hotel. <laughs> oh, that's less funny now. Actually, <laughs> no, it's okay. it says here. Jesus. Okay, so the police uh, the police uh, commissioner says Natalie. We know she drank all day every day. We have students who we have statements. The saying that she started every morning with cocktails and Jesus. so much drinking, so and she was doing so much drinking that Natalie didn't show up for breakfast two mornings. Two of Holloway's classmates also attested to the idea that the drinking was kind of excessive. Does not matter. Super cool. Sounds like a fun time. Let's go to let's go to Aruba and get blasted. Okay, this shit gets real real fast. Oh boy. Holloway was last seen by her classmates at around 1.30 a.m. on Monday, May the 30th. Okay. As she was leaving the Orangestad Bar and Nightclub. Okay. they were. She was in this town called Orangestad. Orangestad. It's the uh, capital of Aruba. Apparently, Aruba was, I think it was settled by the Dutch, just based on this. She was at a Carlos and Charlie's. She left in a car with 17-year-old Joran Vandersloot. That's a fucking name. Remember that name. I don't think I could forget. He was a Dutch honor student who was living in Aruba and attending the international school. He and two of his Surinamese friends, who are brothers named Deepak Kalpo and Satish Kalpo, were also in the car. Holloway was scheduled to fly home later that day, but she did not appear for her return flight. Her packed luggage and her passport were found in her holiday in holiday in room. Aruban authorities initiated searches for Holloway throughout the island and surrounding waters, but did not find her. Immediately following Holloway's misflight, her mother and stepfather flew with friends to Aruba by private jet. By private jet. Nothing says white privilege God like going damn. in your private jet. Let's go to Aruba. Tug. Get in the jet. We got to go find Natalie. I'm so bad. Jesus Christ. This poor girl. Within four hours of landing on the island, the Twitties presented the Aruban police with the name and address of Vandersloot, who was the person with whom Holloway left the nightclub. Beth stated that Vandersloot's full name was given to her by a night manager at the Holiday Inn, who supposedly recognized him on a videotape. The Twitties and their friends went to the Vandersloot home with two Aruban policemen to look for Holloway. He initially denied knowing Holloway's name, but then he told the following story, which was corroborated, corroborated by his Calpo friends. Uh, Deepak and Satish. Um, they were also in the house. He says that they drove Holloway to the California Lighthouse area of Arashi Beach because she wanted to see sharks. They later dropped Holloway off at her hotel at around at her hotel at around 2 a.m. According to Vandersloot, Holloway fell down as she exited the car, but refused his help. She he stated that that he and Calpo were dry, as they were driving away. Holloway was approached by a dark man in a black shirt, similar similar to those worn by security guards. Okay. That's their story, at least for right now. Mm-hmm. The search and rescue efforts for Holloway began immediately, of course, because when Tug and Beth show up on a private plane, hundreds of volunteers from Aruba and the United States joined in the effort. During the first, first days of the search, the Aruban government gave thousands of civil servants the day off to participate in the rescue effort. 50 Dutch Marines conducted an extensive search of the shoreline. Aruban Banks raised $20,000 and provided other support to aid volunteer search teams. 
Beth Twitty was provided with housing, initially at the Holiday Inn, where she coincidentally stayed in the same room her daughter had occupied. Oh, my God. She subsequently stayed at the presidential suite of the nearby Wyndham Hotel. They upgraded her. Mm. Yes. Reports indicated that Holloway did not appear on any nighttime surveillance camera footage of the hotel lobby. However, Twitty... The mom has made varying statements as to whether the cameras were operational that night. According to an April 19, 2006 statement made by Twitty, the video cameras at the Holiday Inn were not functioning the night Holloway vanished. Twitty has made other statements indicating that they were working and she has stated and she has stated so in her book. Police Commissioner Jan van der Straten, the initial head of the investigation until his 2005 retirement, said that Holloway did not have to go through the lobby to return to her room. So there's just all this bullshit of he said this person, this person said that. The search for physical evidence was extensive and subject to occasional false leads, of course. For example, a possible blood sample taken from Deepak Kalpo's car was tested but determined not to be blood. Turns out it was just, what, jelly? Grape jelly from McDonald's? Who knows? Who gives a shit? American law enforcement cooperated substantially with the Rubin authorities from the early days of the investigation. U.S. United States Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, Dr. Condoleezza Rice, got involved in this shit. She stated to reporters that the United States was in contact, constant contact with the Rubin authorities. Another State Department official indicated substantial resources are being applied to this as the Rubin officials continue to ask for more. On June 5th, a Reuben police detained Nick, John, and Abraham Jones, who were former security guards from near from the nearby Allegro Hotel, which at that time was closed for renovation on suspicion of murder and kidnapping. Authorities have never officially disclosed the reason for their arrests, but according to news accounts, which can or may not you know may or may not be true and accurate, statements made by Vandersloot and the Cowboy brothers may have been a factor in their arrests. Remember, they said that. Uh, they had seen they had seen her approached by a man in black slacks and a black shirt. Yeah. Well, there were some reports that indicated that these two former security guards were known for cruising hotels to pick up women, and at least one of them had a prior incident with law enforcement. John and Jones were released on June 13th, so about a week later, without being charged. On June 9th, Vandersloot and the Calpo brothers were arrested on suspicion of the kidnapping and murder of Holloway. A Reuben law allows for investigators to make an arrest based on serious suspicion, but in order to continue holding the suspect in custody, an increasing evidential burden must be met at periodic reviews, right? According to Dompig, which was the investigator mm-hmm. after 2006, the focus on the investigation centered on these three suspects from the get-go. He stated that the close that the close observation of the three men began three days after Holloway was reported missing, and the investigation included surveillance, telephone wiretaps, and even monitoring of their email. Okay. Getting real NSA on the shit. Dompick indicated that the pressure from Holloway's family caused the police to prematurely stop their surveillance and detain these three suspects. They wanted them in custody. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Everyone's trying to, bl- everyone's trying to pull blame. All over, all over places. As yeah, the investigation course. concluded, a man by the name of David Cruz, I used to work with a guy whose name was David Cruz, spokesman for the Aruban Minister of Justice. He was not the Aruban Minister of Justice spokesman. Okay. Falsely indicated on June 11th that Holloway was dead and that the authorities knew the location of her body. Oof. Yeah, he later retracted his statement. Yeah, no shit. Saying that he was a victim of a misinformation campaign. Jesus Christ. Uh, let's see here. Where was that evening? Dompig, the investigator, alleged to the Associated Press that one of the young, the detained young men admitted something bad had happened to Holloway after the suspects took her to the beach and that the suspect was leading police to the scene. The next morning, 
Prosecution spokeswoman Vindian van der Biesen refused to confirm or deny the allegations, simply stating that the investigation was at a very crucial, important moment. Spoiler alert. This shit's just disappointing, one after another. I'm just letting you know. On June 17th, a sixth person was later identified as a disc jockey named Stephen. Steve Gregory Crows was also arrested. Von der Straten told the media that Crows was detained based on information from one of the other detainees. On okay. June 22nd, a Reuben police detained Van der Sloot's father, Paulus Van der Sloot, for questioning. He, were, he was arrested the same day. Both Paulus and Crows were ordered to be released June 26th, so nine days later. Okay. There are some fucking names in this. I thing. know. I love it. Van der Sloot. I'm having a good time with these names. Gee, Willikers. Van der Sloot. During this period, the suspects who had been detained changed their stories. All three indicated that indicated that Van der Sloot and Holloway were dropped off at the Marriott, Marriott Hotel Beach near the fishermen's huts. Van der Sloot stated that he did not harm Holloway, but left her on the beach. According to Satish Kalpo's attorney, David Cook, Van der Sloot called Deepak Kalpo to tell the latter that he was walking home and sent him a text message 40 minutes later. At some point during the interrogation... Vandersloot detailed the third account that he was dropped off at home and Halloway was driven off by the Calpo brothers. Don Pig discontinued, discounted the story, stating, stating this latest story came when Vandersloot saw the other guys. The Calpos were kind of finger pointing in his direction and he wanted to screw them over by saying that he was dropped off. But that story doesn't check out at all. He just wanted to screw Deepak. Of course he did. Yeah, They had great arguments about this in front of the judge because the stories didn't match. We believe the second story that they were dropped off by the Marriott. We can just cut all that out. Following hearings before a judge, the Calpo brothers were again released, this time on July 4th. But Vandersloot was detained for an additional 60 days. This is crazy shit. Damn. 60 days? They're just going to try to sweat, him out, sweat it out of him. Gee willikers. Damn, bro. I watched Seven again this weekend. Oh, yeah, so I saw good. you uh, post about that. It's such fucking, a good movie. It's so good, man. I'm watching it and I'm thinking to myself, I wonder how many takes this took, because David Fincher's notorious about multiple, multiple, multiple takes. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that was a taxing production. But, wow, what a fucking movie, man. I don't understand why he's like that. Perfectionist? I guess so. All right, let's see here. On July 4th, the, on July 4th, the Royal Netherlands Air Force deployed three F-16 aircraft equipped with infrared sensors to aid in the search, but the results came up empty. In March of 2006, it was, presumed, it was reported that satellite photo, photos were being compared with photo, photographs taken more recently, so they were taking stuff from, from the past in March, and they were, they were cross-referencing it with this stuff in July to try to find unexpected shifts of ground that may be Holloway's grave. Mm-hmm. Uh, at some point, a local gardener came forward with information. A small pond near the Aruba Racket Club close to the Marriott Hotel was, was partly drained between July 27th and the 30th of 2005. According to Jug Twitty, Jug. The, yes, the gardener claimed to have seen Vandersloot attempting to hide his face as he drove into the Racket Club with the Calpo brothers on, very, on the very early morning of May the 30th between 2.30 a.m. and 3. Here comes the worst part. Are you ready for this? Oh, I'm ready for it. Just think about the worst part. Like, this is already a this is already just a fucking shit show. Oh yeah, for sure. Give me a name of a person, of a celebrity who could make it worse. You think, man, if I really wanted to make this worse, who would I call to make it worse? 
In the worst possible way. OJ Simpson. No. Somebody who's on TV all the time. Oh. Just uh, give me a name. Doesn't matter. Like a. Never mind. I'll go ahead and tell you. Tell me, because there's too many. Nancy Grace. Are you fucking kidding me? Nancy Grace. I I would never have guessed it. Oh my god. This is just like. I mean, they lampooned her in Gone Girl, directed by David Fincher. Directed by David Fincher. Because that one lady that's in the show is definitely doing her best Nancy Grace impression. Oh, yeah. Nancy Grace, Nancy Grace got involved, man. and she described the gardener as the man whose testimony cracks the case wide open. Oh, Jesus Guess Christ. Guess what? It didn't. Another person, the jogger, claimed to have seen men burying a blonde-haired woman in a landfill during the afternoon of May the 30th. The police had already searched the landfill in the days following Holloway's disappearance. After the jogger's statements, the landfill was searched three more times, and the FBI used cadaver dogs to assist in the recovery operation. This search was fruitless. Let me tell you something. Tell me something. If Natalie Holloway was Natalie Munoz... Or Natalie Jones mm-hmm. from Inner City Atlanta, black or Hispanic yeah. or Korean, anything other than white. You think the FBI would be down there with the fucking cadaver dogs? Oh dogs no! In fucking Aruba? No, one hundred percent not. Hell to the no! This is some fucking white person, white privilege bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you why. This next paragraph in this in this thing is going to tell you why it's some white privilege bullshit. Oh no! Because more Halloway's, so than already. More so than already. Jesus. Just going to. Oh my God. Halloway's family initially offered one hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars, and donors offered fifty thousand for her safe return. Two months after her disappearance, the reward was increased to two hundred thousand dollars from two hundred thousand dollars to one million dollars what the fuck with a one hundred thousand dollar reward for information leading to the location of her remains oh my god in august of 2005 the reward for information leading to natalie's corpse was increased from one hundred thousand dollars to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars that's so many dollars that's a lot of dollars it's a lot of dollars that's more dollars than I have ever seen. <laughs> My life is not worth nearly that much. God, mine definitely isn't. Are you kidding me? Oh, no, it's not. All right, so the Calpo brothers again were arrested on August 26th along with another new suspect, a 21-year-old man named Freddie Ambratzis. And Bratz's lawyer said that this client was suspected of taking photographs of an underage girl and having inappropriate physical contact with this same girl. This incident allegedly occurred during Holloway's disappearance, and Bratzis's friend Van der Sloot and the Calpo brothers were supposedly involved in this particular incident. Van der Sloot's mother, Anita Van der Sloot, stated it's a desperate attempt to get the boys to talk, but there is nothing to talk about. While no public explanation was then made for the Calpo rearrests, Don Peck later said that it was an unsuccessful attempt to pressure the brothers into confessing. Jesus Christ. Goodness. On September 3rd, the four detained suspects were released by a judge despite the attempts of the prosecution to keep them in custody. The the suspects were released on the condition that they remain available to the police. On September 14th, all restrictions on them were removed by the combined appeals court of the Netherlands, Antilles, and Aruba. In the months following his release, Van der Sloot gave several interviews that explained his version of events. The most notable interview was was broadcast on Fox News. Of course it fucking was. Fox fucking news. Fox fucking news. Over three nights in March of 2006, during the interview, Von der Sloot indicated that Holloway wanted to have sex with him, but he did not because he didn't have a condom. Oh, he's such a saint. 
He stated that Holloway wanted them to stay on the beach, but that he had to go to school in the morning. According to him, he was picked up by Satish Kalpo at about 3 a.m. and left Holloway sitting on the beach. In August of 2005, David Cook, Kalpo's attorney, stated that his client had gone to sleep and had not returned to drive Vondersloot home. So it contradicts this story. Vondersloot stated that he was somewhat ashamed to have left a young woman on the beach, albeit by her own request, and related that he was not truthful at first because he was convinced that Holloway would soon turn up. Shortly before leaving the case, Don Pig, who was the investigator at one point, gave an interview to CBS in which he stated that he believed Holloway was not murdered, but probably died from alcohol or drug poisoning, and that somehow that someone later hid her body. Don Pig also stated that Aruba had spent about $3 million on the investigation, which is about 40% of the police's operational budget. What the fuck? And why? 40% of the operational budget because it's a rich white girl. Because it's a rich white girl. Don Pig indicated that there was evidence at that pointed to possession of illicit drugs by Holloway, although there wasn't anything to suggest that she used it. Members of the Holloway family have denied that she used drugs. On April 11th, 2006, David Hall- Dave Holloway pu- published a book co-authored by um, these other people called Aruba, the tragic untold story of Natalie Holloway and corruption in paradise that recounted the search for his daughter. I don't know how much of it he knows because Tug was down there. Yeah. Dave wasn't down there. It was Tug. Tug. On April 15th of 2006, just a couple of days later, Jeffrey Von Kromvort was arrested by Aruban authorities on suspicion of criminal offenses related to dealing in narcotics, which, according to the prosecutor, might have been related to the disappearance of Holloway. At his first court appearance, his detention was extended by eight days. Von Kromvort was released, however, on the 25th. It did it in an... In addition, another individual with the, with the initials AB was arrested on April 27th, 22nd, but was released the same day. So they're just grasping at straws at this point. There's just so much shit, and I feel like none of it is leading anywhere. Mm-hmm. God damn. On May 17th, another suspect named Guido Weber, who was the son of a former Aruban politician, was detained in the Netherlands on suspicion of assisting in the abduction, battering, and killing of Holloway. Uh, Weber was suggest- was questioned for six days. Um, the prosecutors initially sought his transfer to the island, but he was instead released by agreement between the prosecutor and his attorney. At Aruba's request, the Netherlands took over the investigation. Following receipt of extensive case documentation in Rotterdam, a team of the Dutch National Police started working on the case in September. On April 16th, 2007, a combined Aruban-Dutch team began pursuing the inv- the uh, they started the uh, investigation together. Then Joran Vandersloot decides that he's going to publish a book. It's called oh, what does it matter? The case of Natalie Holloway. That's what he calls it. He gives his perspective of the night Holloway disappeared and the media frenzy that followed. He admits to and apologizes for his initial intrudes, but admits his innocence. Oh, a new search involving approximately 20 investigators was launched at the Vandersloot family residence in Aruba. In Aruba, Dutch authorities searched the yard and surrounding area using shovels and thin metal rods to pep- perpetrate the dirt. Prosecution spokeswoman Van der Beisen stated that the investigation has never stopped and the Dutch authorities are completely reviewing the case for new indications. A statement from the prosecutor's office related... Um, the team has indications that justify a more thorough search. Inves- investigators did not comment on what prompted the new search, except that it was not related to Vondersloot's book. 
Good grief. According to Paulus van der Sloot, nothing suspicious was found, and all that they were seized were diary entries of him and his wife and his personal computer, which was returned subsequently. Blah, 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 blah. On May 12th, the Calpo family residence was searched by the authorities. Nothing found. Citing what was described as newly discovered evidence, the Rubin investigators rearrested Van der Sloot and the, and the Calpo brothers on November 22nd, 2007, on suspicion of involvement in manslaughter and causing serious bodily harm that resulted in the death of Holloway. Van der Sloot was, was detained by the Dutch authorities in the Netherlands, while the Calpo brothers were detained in Aruba. Van der Sloot was returned to Aruba, where he was incarcerated. Soon after, Dave Holloway announced a new search for his daughter that probed the sea beyond the original 330 feet depth in which an earlier search had taken place. That search involved a vessel called the Persistence and was abandoned due to lack of funds at the end of February of 2008, when nothing of significance could be found. Okay. Jesus fucking Christ on this thing, man. It just sounds like every time you, you bring something new up, it just sounds like there's more ways for them to... And listen... I'm not saying that it's not worth money to try and find somebody, but like this just seems like so much money that they are throwing at this that and getting so many different groups of people involved and wasting all the manpower to go find all these people for it to lead to nothing. This is just sucking money out of everything that it can. And I get it. Like I, if I were in that position, mm -hmm. I would want no mm -hmm. expense spared to find my family. So I'm not trying to shit on that. It just seems like there is so much happening here. And it's so weird to see how intense this search is. Like, because like we've said, she's rich and she's white. There would never be this amount of intensity or this amount of money thrown into an investigation oh, no. for, you know, a low-income minority kid. Oh, no, not at all. Not even if they were abducted, like, three blocks from their home, let alone fucking Aruba. Yeah, exactly. Not even if they were abducted in front of a police station. Let's be real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is pretty crazy. All right. Oh, Jesus Christ, where were we? <laughs> uh... Yeah, on December 18th, Prosecutor Hans Maas officially declared the case closed and that no charges would be filed due to lack of evidence. The prosecution indicated a continuing interest in Vandersloot and the Calpo brothers, though they legally ceased to be suspects and alleged that one that one of the three in a chat room message had stated that Holloway was dead. This was hotly contested by the Deepak Calpo's by Deepak Calpo's attorney, who stated that the prosecution in translation from Papamiento to Dutch, which apparently is a language that exists in the world, what had the misconstrued a reference to a teacher who had drowned as one to Holloway. It's crazy. Okay. Oh God. Um, on July, on January thirty first, two thousand eight, uh, two thousand eight, Dutch crime reporter Peter R. De Vries. It sounds like Peter De Vries from from Dune. <laughs> claimed that he had solved the Holloway case. DeVries stated that he would tell on a, he would tell all on a special television program on Dutch television on February the 3rd of that year. On February the 1st, the Dutch media reported that Van der Sloot made a confession regarding Holloway's disappearance. Later that day, Van der Sloot stated that he was telling the individual what he wanted to hear and denied any involvement in her disappearance. That same day, the Aruba prosecutor's office Announced the reopening of the case. Jesus fucking Christ, man. Oh, my goodness gracious. The broadcast aired on February 3rd, 2008, and included excerpts from footage recorded from hidden cameras and microphones in the vehicle of Patrick van der Im, a Dutch businessman and ex-convict who had gained von der Sloot's confidence. Von der Sloot 
was seen smoking marijuana and stated that he was with Holloway when she began convulsively shaking, then became unresponsive. Vandersloot stated that he attempted to revive her without success. He stated that he called a friend who told Vandersloot to go home and who disposed of the body. An individual reputed to be his friend, identified as the, in the broadcast as Dari, has denied Vandersloot's account, indicating that he was in Rotter, he was in Rotterdam at school. The Aruban prosecutor's office attempted to obtain an arrest warrant for von der Sloot based on the tapes. However, a judge denied the request. The prosecutor appealed the denial, but the appeal failed on February the 14th. The appeals court held the sta- that the statements on the tape were inconsistent with evidence in the case and were, sufficient, were insufficient to hold von der Sloot. Okay. On February the 8th, Van der Sloot met with the Rubin investigators in the Netherlands and denied that what he said on the tape was true, stating that he was under the, inf- under the influence of marijuana at the time. Van der Sloot indicated that he still maintains that he left Holloway behind on the beach. In March of 2008, news reports indicated that Van der M was secretly taped after giving an interview for Rubin Television. Van der M, under the impression that the cameras had been turned off, disclosed that he had been a friend of Van der Sloot for years. Um, which contradicted a statement that he had made in 2007, but that he expected to become a millionaire through his involvement in the Holloway case and that he knew the person who supposedly disposed of Holloway's body and that van der Sloot had asked him for 2,000 euros to buy the man's silence. According to the Dutch news service ANP, van der M, who had already signed a book deal, was furious after learning of the taping and threatened the interviewer who sought legal advice. On November 24th, Fox fucking news. Fox gets back news. into it. Back at it. Let's let's take another shit in this thing. They aired an interview with Von der Sloot in which he alleged that he sold Holloway into sexual slavery. Oh my god. Receiving money both when Holloway was taken and later on to keep quiet. Okay. Von der Sloot also alleged that his father paid off two police officers who had learned that Holloway was taken to Venezuela. Van der Sloot later retracted the statements made in the interview. Fox News also aired part of an audio recording provided by von der Sloot, which he alleged in a phone conversation between he and his father, in which his father displays knowledge of his son's purported involvement in human trafficking. According to Mahaz, the voice heard on the recording is not of Paulus von der Sloot. The Dutch newspaper The Telegraph reported that the father's voice was almost certainly that of Joran von der Sloot himself, trying to speak in a lower voice. So again, just discrediting this whole fucking story. Every single turn, there is something new to discredit it or throw it off it's the just fucking, a fucking rails. Mess, man. Oh my god! Here we go. On March twentieth, two thousand nine, Dave Holloway transported a search dog to Aruba to search a small reservoir in the northern part of the island. The reservoir was previously identified by a supposed witness as a possible location of Natalie's remains. Aruban authorities indicated that they had no new information in the case, but that Holloway had been given permission to conduct this search. On February of 2010, it was reported that Van der Sloot had stated in an interview um, back in 2009 that he had disposed of Holloway's body in a marsh on Aruba. New Chief Prosecutor Peter Blanken indicated that the that authorities had investigated the latest story and had dismissed it. Blanken said that the location, names, and times he gave just did not make sense. Jesus in March of 2010, underwater searches were conducted by Aruban authorities after an American couple reported that they were snorkeling when they photographed what they thought might be human skeletal remains, possibly those of Holloway. Aruban authorities sent divers to investigate, but no remains were ever recovered. God. Okay. On March 29, 2010, here we go. Van der contacted... John Q. Kelly, who was Beth Twitty's legal representative, with an offer to reveal the location of Holloway's body and the circumstances surrounding her death if he were given 
an advance of $25,000 against a total of the $250,000. So he wants the reward. Yeah. After Kelly notified the FBI, they arranged to proceed with the transaction. On May the 10th, Vandersloot had had a $15,000 wire transfer transferred to his account in the Netherlands. Following the receipt of $10,000 in cash that was videotaped by undercover investigators in Aruba. Authorities stated that the information that he provided in return was false because the house in which he said Holloway's body was located had not yet been built at the time of her disappearance. What the fuck? Yes. On June the 3rd, Von der Sloot was charged in the U.S. District Court of Northern Alabama, Roll Tide, with extortion and wire fraud. U.S. Attorney Joyce White Vance, I guess she just, she just had to have three names. Everyone else in this story has got three names. She obtained an arrest warrant and transmitted it to Interpol. On June 30th, Vandersloot Vandersloot was indicted on the charges. At the request of the U.S. Department of Justice, authorities conducted a June 4th raid and confiscated items from two homes in the Netherlands. One of the homes belonged to reporter Yap Amez, who had previously interviewed Vandersloot and claimed knowledge of his criminal activities. The Rubin authorities used information gathered from gathered from the extortion case to launch a new search at a beach, but no new evidence was found. She's not down there. My fucking God. How much more do you have to look for her? That's just... They're just spending so much money and She's so much time. She's not there anymore. Shit. We would have found her by now for fuck's sake. God damn. People get lost, but they don't get disappeared this good. Dave Holloway returned to Aruba on June 24th to pursue possible news clues. Jesus Christ. Uh, In June of 2011, six years after Natalie's disappearance, Dave Holloway, her father, filed a petition with the Alabama courts to have his daughter declared legally dead. The papers were served on his ex-wife, Beth Twitty, who announced her intention, intention to oppose the petition. A hearing was held on September 23rd, at which time probate judge Alan King ruled that Dave Holloway had met the requirements for a legal presumption of death. On January 12, 2012, a second hearing was held, after which Judge King signed the order declaring Natalie Holloway to be legally dead. But that's not all. But that's not all. Of course that's not all. There's got to be more. But that's not all. On May the 30th of 2010, five years to the day after Holloway's disappearance, a girl by the name of Stephanie Flores Ramirez, who was a 21-year-old business student, was reported missing in Lima, Peru. She was found dead three days later in a hotel room registered to guess who? Who? Joran fucking Vandersloot. It's the fucking Vandersloot. Vandersloot. On June 3rd, Vandersloot was arrested in Chile on a murder charge and extradited to Peru the next day. On June 7th, Peruvian authorities said that Vandersloot's he confessed to killing Flores after he lost his temper because she accessed his laptop without permission and found information linking him to Holloway. Police Chief Cesar Guardia related that Vandersloot told Peruvian police that he knew where Holloway's body was and offered to help Aruban authorities find it. However, Guardia stated that the interrogation was limited to their case in Peru and that questions about Holloway's disappearance were avoided. Exactly. This is for the first smart guy in this fucking story. Right? No fucking like, you know shit. What? Fuck you, Vandersloot. Fuck you, Vandersloot. I'm not, pulling, I'm not playing this game. I'm not going to let you dick around with me like this. You, we have a murdered woman here. In Peru, you're gonna you're gonna burn for this shit. All right, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. 
you're what? you're fucking amped up. You're ready to exact fucking vigilante justice. I am. Burn this down, motherfucker to the I'm ground. I'm gonna come down like the Holy Ghost on this boy. On <laughs> June 11th, Vandersloot was charged in Lima Superior Court with first degree murder and robbery. On June 15th, Aruban and Peruvian authorities announced an agreement to cooperate and allow investigators from Aruba to interview Vandersloot and Miguel Castro Castro prison in Peru. Maybe it's not the same Miguel Castro. No, it's Fidel Castro. It's not the same. In a September 2010 interview from the prison, Von der Schlitt reportedly admitted to the extortion plot, stating, I wanted to get back at Natalie's family. Her parents had been making my life tough for five years. On January the 11th, 2012, Von der Schlitt pleaded guilty to murdering Flores and was sentenced to 28 years in prison, where he continues to rot to this day. Good. Fuck that guy. Fuck that clown. But it's not over yet. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's oh my almost god over. in in 2016 dave holloway hired a private investigator to once more go through all evidence and information related to the disappearance of his daughter this led to an informant who claimed to have been a roommate of one of vandersloot's closest friends gabriel this informant claimed that ludwig which was the friend, closest friend of vandersloot was told what became of Natalie in an interview with the Oxygen Television Channel? Jesus Christ! Oh my God! This guy Oxygen. gave a detailed description of what happened on the night of Natalie's disappearance. The Oxygen Network created a new documentary series on Natalie's disappearance that aired on August 19, 2017. Using this information, the investigator had found what it appeared to be human bones. On October 3, 2017. DNA testing concluded that one piece of bone was human, but did not belong to Natalie. Again, getting nowhere. She's not there. On the show, this guy, this informant, claimed to have helped Vandersloot dig up, smash, and cremate Holloway's bones in 2010. In February of 2018, Elizabeth Holloway sued the producers, alleging that this and other claims are fictional and harmfully lurid, and that she was misled into providing a DNA sample for comparison without being made aware of the plans for a show. In March of 2018, Ludic was stabbed to death by a woman he tried to kidnap. What the fuck? I know. Oh, my God. This is some crazy shit, bro. <laughs> okay. Hell, yeah. Fucking kill him. In televised interviews and in a book, Beth Twitty alleged that Vandersloot and the Calpo brothers knew more about Holloway's disappearance than they had told authorities and that it, at least one of them sexually assaulted or raped, his, raped her daughter. On July 5th of 2005, following the initial release of the Calpos, Twitty alleged two, spe- two suspects were released yesterday who were involved in a cr- violent crime against my daughter and referred to the Calpo, Calpo brothers as criminals. A demonstration involving about 200 Arubans took place that evening outside the Ornstad courthouse. The protesters were angry over Twitty's remarks because they were kind of unfounded. Mm-hmm. In response to her daughter's disappearance, Twitty founded the International Safe Travels Foundation, a nonprofit organization designed to inform and educate the public to help them travel more safely as they travel internationally. In May of 2010, she announced that the Natalie Holloway Resource Center would open at the National Museum of Crime and Punishment located in Washington, D.C. The center opened on June 8th to aid families of missing people. U.S. television networks devoted substantial airtime to the search for Holloway, the investigation of her disappearance, and the rumors surrounding the case. Greta Van Susteren, host of Fox News is on the record, and Nancy Grace, Mm -hmm. on her eponymous headline news program, were among the most prominent television personalities to devote time to the incident. Van Susteren's almost continuous coverage of the story garnered on the record, its best ratings to date. While Grace's show became the cornerstone of the new Headline Prime block on Headline News, which ran two episodes 
and a live show and a repeat every night during prime time. As the case wore on, much of the attention was given to Beth Twitty and her statements. A Rubin government spokesman, Ruben Trappenberg, stated the case is under a microscope and the world is watching. The saturation of media cover coverage triggered a backlash among some critics who argued that such extensive media attention validated the missing white woman syndrome. Oh, boy. <laughs> a theory which suggests that missing person cases involving white women and girls receive disproportionately more attention in the media compared with cases involving white males or people of color. Yeah, you think? Yeah. CNN ran a segment ca- criticizing the amount of coverage their competitors gave to the story, despite what they characterized as a lack of new items to report, with CNN news anchor Anderson Cooper calling the coverage downright ridiculous. And I would agree with Anderson Cooper on this. Yeah, no this shit. This stuff is fucking crazy. Oh, my God. All right. That's all. Fuck. They never found her. They never arrest. They were never able to convict anybody in her disappearance. Not a shred of fucking evidence. She's not in Aruba. I feel bad. I really do. But she's just not on that fucking island. You took me on this whole ass journey to Aruba and back to Aruba to the and Netherlands back to the fucking Netherlands and then I don't even get a the end there is no end This is like the fucking end of the movie First Reformed fuck you I'm sorry What do you think happened to her cuz I've got my theory They sold her Yeah they sold her and she she became, she became a sex slave. Yes, 100%. They sold her into slavery and she's I mean she's probably I mean she has to be dead by now. They don't last very long. She's absolutely dead by now, but which she's is gone. fucking terrible. But she, she was never they on the wasted island. Wasted so much money searching in a place where she wasn't. And I get it. You're trying to find her. You want to find her. I wish they would have found her. But they wasted so much time and energy, and now she's fucking long gone. And unfortunately, you're right, probably dead now. Mm-hmm. She's dead, which is so sad. Fuck Crazy. this case. This case is wild. Let me tell you something. I had, that was 10 pages of notes. I had 16 pages of notes at one point, and I pared this shit down. Oh, thank God. Because I'm not going to lie, there was a little bit in there. Oh, yeah, I know. I was getting kind of lost on it, so I'm going to have to pay attention when I edit this later. (laughs) Just let it run the way it runs, baby. That was fucking crazy shit. Oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, Jesus. It was insane. God, all all the effort to find this poor girl. She is not there. She's not on the island. Stop going to Aruba looking for her. You're not going to find her. I feel bad. I have a daughter. I totally understand where you're coming from. But she's just not there. She's not there. She's not there. She just isn't. No. God. I know. Well, that was cool. This was a God, roller coaster of an episode. We all, I mean, what? It's a true. It's a paranormal and true crime podcast. People aren't supposed to have the warm fuzzies after they finish an episode of of ours. Yeah. 
It's not what they come for. No, it's not. They come for the nightmares. <laughs> they do. And they're getting them these last couple episodes. Jesus Christ. We're bringing the fucking thunder. We are bringing that fucking thunder, man. We're, We're bringing, bringing that, that hail heat. Satan. That fucking hail Satan, man. I, I'm Yeah, next episode, I'm going to take it a little bit easy on y'all. I'm going to throw y'all a softball there. Maybe a kooky poke poltergeist story. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I got to do something here. The Flatwoods monster or some shit. Just something a little... uh. Get you a diet too scared to sleep. Let's take a little breather here. We, we should just release a we should release a video episode and it's just me um talking about how much you love the Fresno Nightcrawlers. That or brushing Boomer and like playing with him. <laughs> like with his little with, with his little toy that's like it's like a stick with a feathers on the end. Yeah. Yeah. Just to just a palate cleanser. There we you know go. we know we've put you through some rough times. So here, here's just a video of me with Boomer. This is the video equivalent of when you're at the candle shop and you smell the coffee beans. Just kind of cleanse that palate mm-hmm. and get you ready for mm-hmm. the next level. Yeah. Something like that. Boy, howdy. That was rough. Yeah. Rough all around. Excellent, though. We love <laughs> to see it. But horrible. All right, I'm done. I Excellent. got nothing. Excellent. All right, well... That being said, I uh, just want to remind everybody that if you are interested, you can financially support us through Patreon. I promise eventually we're going to put something on there. Uh, you can support us directly through Anchor because we are still part of Anchor right now. Don't know how much longer that's going to last. Uh, but you can find the episode in, or you can find the link to that in the episode descriptions. Um, we have TikTok, Instagram, Google. Uh, Facebook. We have a Twitter that I don't really use because I don't understand Twitter. We have merch. Go buy a shirt. We I'm have buy, merch I'm shirts at right now. Redbubble. He is wearing one of our shirts. We have another one. When I get paid, I'm going to go buy one of our WKRX shirts because <laughs> I fucking love that Greater design. Greater Cincinnati. All the metal hits. Hail, Hail Satan. Satan. God, I fucking... Okay. Yeah, Not I to toot to my own horn, one. but I do really like that design that I came up with for the WKRX. I'm buying one right now. I'm very happy buying with it. buying one right fucking now. That makes my heart happy. Um, but anyway, we have merch. You can find us at Too Scared Podcast at Redbubble. Uh, you can find us Too Scared Podcast on Patreon. That's the thing I'm looking for. Uh, at Patreon, you can just tell people about us. If you think that people would like to listen to us, we're kind of funny guys. We talk about some deeply upsetting things, but I promise normally we're pretty funny. Uh, but yeah, just you know, get the word out there if you can. But thank you so much for you listening. I'm talking to you right now. You know who you are. I'm talking to you. Thank you. Should I list the name of all of our... No, I'm kidding. Every listener we have. Oh, I was so impressed because Jamie F. from Houston, her son knows pie to more decimal places than I do. And I think it's a fucking amazing. Fuck yeah, dude. He's That's so cool, cool as hell. He's cool. Radical. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway, thank you guys. You can support us if you like. You can let people know about us if you like. We appreciate it all. Uh, We have merch. We have cool shit out there. Uh, But thank you for listening. Oh, yeah, and Bridget from Kentucky, I sent you a message. You haven't responded back, so. Ooh, putting her on blast. Hit me up, girl. (laughs) (laughs) This is fun. It's like talking to friends. I know. You're just our friends. Listen, you're just our friends. It's Pretty much. And we're recording this on Monday, so I'm going to go home and edit all of this tonight so I can post this tomorrow it's gonna be awesome but yeah there's not a lot of time for this to to wait so if you got a message you want to get sent out in a timely manner now's the time to go for it that's right that's right <laughs> all right well i'm done now my spiel is over okay I've talked enough all right well from dylan my co-host my name is jake and we hope we've left you too scared to sleep <laughs>